Next time you're considering eating bat meat, don't. Welcome to this week's episode of Pinot and Policy, where we bring you Corona with love. I'm here today with Hannah and Sophia, as always, and we're talking about the favorite virus du jour, something to make swine flu look cute. It's the coronavirus on this week's Pinot and Policy. Now, what's very important is that none of us here are epidemiologists, but we're experts in our own particular fields, and we spend a lot of time researching the impacts of corona, and we'll be able to, by the end of this episode, tell you whether you should, you know, panic, go into mass hysteria, or, you know... Or just drink a Corona. Yeah, like us right now. It's great. And believe it or not, we are not currently being sponsored by the Anheuser-Busch administration. And by administration, I mean company. But please, <laughs> you know... Anheuser-Busch, if you're listening, yeah. feel free to sponsor us. I we- am drinking a 2017 California Cabernet Sauvignon. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> true to the Pinot part of the policy, but except for that, it's a Cabernet it's a cab. Sauvignon, but that's fine. Yeah. Meanwhile, we're just drinking a meme beer, or rather, cerveza, I suppose. I didn't take Spanish in high school. No. You didn't? No, I didn't. I took French. Come on. I'm pretentious. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so to the topic du jour... Basically, the big picture is you're likely to get corona, you poor sons of bitches. So, now, <laughs> what does that actually mean? So, in our research, we were looking at what, you know, the real experts have to say. So, there's this great Harvard epidemiologist named Mark Lipsitch, who has been making the circuit around to pretty much every journalist out there these days. It's really great for his career, honestly. And his basic pitch is this. Between about 40 and 70% of people around the world will be infected with the virus that causes COVID-19 within the next year. Now... Does that mean we're all gonna die? Eh, probably not. What it really means is that countries are gonna have to be prepared for the impacts of such a virus. So you might have heard the statistic that 3.4% of people who get this virus die. That's really bad. That's worse than the Spanish flu, which killed as many people as uh, World War I, and it happened right after World War I. It was very bad. Um, but one of the pitches we're gonna be making today is, that's actually kind of a misleading number. So one of the big problems is that most people aren't testing appropriately. Most countries aren't. If you live in America, we all know this uh, pretty well. But for the places that have tested pretty uh, regularly, they also only tested people who were the sickest of the sickest. So such as in Wuhan, China. And a lot of those people died. And so now the question is, is what can we do about it? Should we freak out or not? So early thoughts before we dive into the data, folks. Um. I think, honestly, just based off of the reaction that I have seen with local governments, state governments here in the United States, inter- like you know, national governments, institutional response at my educational institution here in Boston, I think the societal and sort of institutional response is kind of caused way more damage than the virus itself. Like, yeah, are a lot of people going to die like compared to your average flu season? Yes. Are the methods and the things that we're doing to try to prevent this going to actually make that big of a difference and or, like, actually help anything in the net? Uh, I don't particularly think so. But I am also, like, and as we all are, as I assume listening to this podcast, um, or at least recording this podcast, like, young folk. uh, So we're kind of in a privileged position, and we don't necessarily have to worry about this disease. Um, So that's also something I need to take into consideration when I say, like, ah, ah. Yeah. Ah. Hannah, thoughts? Yeah, I 
like Sophia was saying, we're kind of in a privileged position. Like we're all in our mid twenties, we're all healthy and we are not very likely to, like while we may get the, the virus, we are not likely to die from it. So, I mean, that tempers fear a bit, but I am a bit concerned about how it's affecting the economy. Yeah. Um, and the just, I don't know, it's like a, a, a huge roadblock showed up in the road. Yeah. All of a sudden. Ruining all of our spring break plans. Yeah. Yeah. So it's funny you mentioned spring break, traveling, and young people getting it. So some facts for y'all. Um, the current confirmed cases, probability of death. Um, if you're sub 40 years old, or your death rate is about 0.2%, so pretty, pretty good. Uh, the flu is usually between 0.1 and 0.2% overall. Um, and then as you get older, it gets worse. So if you're above 50, it's about 1.3%. 60, it's 3.6%. And then once you get to the 70 and 80 plus, that's when you get into the tens digits. Mm-hmm. And so really the big danger for coronavirus are boomers. Um, older folks and people who smoke a lot. So this gets back to the uh, testing question. So one of the big issues with trying to suss out what the actual uh, death rate is, is that most countries that are testing it are testing the most severe cases. And China was the place where this all started, obviously, and they were testing folks a little later after it had progressed for some time. Because one of the problems with the coronavirus is that it takes a while to show up, and most of its mild symptoms are equivalent to the cold or flu, which, newsflash, we are in the height of that season. So it's essentially a sleeper cell within the general sick population. Um, and what happens is that if you get super sick from it, great, you die, that's, that's terrible. Um, but for the people who have died the most, they tend to be older population. And if you have uh, particularly high rates of smoking or other um, compromised lungs, that increases your death rate. So when the majority of cases that have been identified are out of China, in a place that has far higher smoking rates and also has an older population than, say, America, you're going to have a higher percentage death rate. Now, that's not to say there won't be people in America dying. We've already had several already. But it also means that anybody in the media who is just saying 3.4% number might not have your best interests at heart, unlike us here at Arbitrary. So, like, that's the other thing to keep in note is there's a lot of money to be made from hysteria, whether you're trying to sell Clorox or if you're trying to keep people's eyes glued to the screen. That's also not to say you shouldn't wash your hands or keep aware, but likely the numbers right now are inaccurate and will continue to be inaccurate until this whole thing blows over, hopefully. Now, what does that mean about the response in America? Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> so you two are on the receiving end of some of it because you deal with institutions who care about you or whatever. What, what's going on at your schools? What's, what's, what's up? Hannah, why don't you take the, to take the lead on this particular well, discussion? Well, so at... At my university, um, we have recently received an email um, with a link to a packet detailing uh, plans, very detailed plans, about what students should do if they start to experience symptoms of the virus, Um, things to do for self-isolation, quarantine, particularly Mm -hmm. for students who live on campus. They'll have like meal delivery and things available um, for people who need to have that. Um, And then they've also started to set up virtual classrooms. So we 
if, if it were necessary to close the school as a result of the virus or to counteract or to try to counteract the spread amongst our university community, um, they would have us attend classes online temporarily. They haven't put this into action at my, at least at my university, that is not the case for all of them. Um, but it's, it's there on backup in case we need it. Um, I also like, and this is maybe unrelated, but of course, like nobody really knows. I have a professor who's having cold symptoms and kids just canceled class. Um, which is totally fine and definitely preferred given the, <laughs> the, the wide unknown about like what, whether he actually has just a, a cold or not, you know, um, which is kind of the, another scary thing about it is like the symptoms are so vague. Like it yeah. could be just about any of the general colds well, or flus that go around. Well, that's where it gets really spooky is when you're thinking about the appropriate response to this, when you're in the height of cold and flu season, which hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Americans every single year get the cold or flu, and when the early symptoms of corona looks essentially identical until a week or two later and you, you know, get pneumonia and die, um, what's the proper response to it? Because here's the issue. It's not like Ebola where you start bleeding out of every single orifice and it's pretty obvious, right? right. Well, and even like beyond that, there is up to, and I think this is kind of a high number, um, but you can go for up to 27, I think it's 27 days. Yeah, about a month. Asymptomatic. Right. So we're a bunch of typhoid Marys, which if you don't know who she is, she, she was the reason why we discovered what carriers are. Fun fact. You're carriers and you're hanging out. Like one of the things that's kind of spooky is like in Oregon where Hannah and I are based, um... We've recently got our first cases like a week or two ago. Same thing with Washington and the rest. And the theory is that the disease has already been percolating for about six weeks, give or take. And so the problem with it is when it looks so normal, what's the proper response when we already know it's within our midst? And testing isn't ubiquitous. And what do you do? So some folks online, usually if you're reading things online, it's ridiculous. They're saying, oh, we need to do quarantines. You know, America's screwed because we, you know, don't have authoritarian government could do that, whatever. Well, my argument, and you two can agree or disagree with me or not, is the horse is already out of the barn here. So the problem is that if we already understand it's percolating, we already understand it looks identical to most other diseases that are running in right now, The arguably the greater harm to social harmony here is by shutting things down and panicking ridiculously. Because here's what happens. You start, A, flooding hospitals with people who don't actually have COVID-19, they instead just have a cold or a flu, so you're wasting certain resources that could go towards people who really need it. A. B, you end up depressing the local economy based on panic, which then C, spins out to more people being harmed on a day-to-day basis. That's not to say that a couple dead boomers is not, you know, not worthwhile to avoid. However, when you think about the societal impact of that, that's pretty bad. Like, for instance, schools closing for extended period of times, that actually leads to long-term educational defects. Well, defects may be a strong term, but a couple months off from school, there's a cool article I read earlier today, shows that it actually has huge detrimental impacts on students' performance over the next several years. Mm-hmm. So we have to Yeah, make there's this a reason why schools are like super um, intense about studies and stuff like that. Like right, it's not totally. for no reason. You're, you're essentially, your, your test scores will just drop off the face of the earth. They're already having this issue in Hong Kong right now where a lot of students are very pissed off. Now, oh, someplace... and I'm sure that bodes well in tiger mommy country. Oh no, of course not, yeah. And so where it gets wild is, I'm all for, for caution, so on and so forth. However, I would say that, A, trying to call for a quarantine or whatever, in America probably won't work. B, there's a lot of evidence that quarantines don't work all that well anyway. Um, Why is that? So one of the things is, first of all, quarantines are not all that common in history. 
Oh. Um, <laughs> and when they have done their methods of last resort, quarantine literally comes from uh, like the plague era, um, for to keeping um, ships out for a quarter of a month or something, um, during, before you know trade ships before coming into a city, uh, just in case they had plague rats. But the thing is, is that quarantines tend to be porous. So people still find a way out. Or if you try to quarantine a place, if people figure out you're going to quarantine it, they will leave beforehand, and they end up spreading it anyway. The better response um, to pandemics usually is either prevention to a certain degree, or, to be honest, is shutting down people coming into the country in the first place. Now, that's also not very feasible because they're eventually going to get in anyway. You can't shut down every single airport, particularly for something that's not like, you know, an insta-killer virus across the It's board. not Ebola. No, it's not Ebola. And so where it gets wild is when we see, like, the current government administration, everybody's very mad, right? Like, the Trump administration, they're not doing anything, blah, blah, blah. They've cut funding. Yes, 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 yes. However, if you look at it from the administration's perspective, it's a no-win situation. I'm not trying to defend Trump here. I'm just saying let's, let's think game theoretically. All right. So you freak out and try to mobilize resources that you may not actually have. There's not enough testing kits. There's shortages across the board. You end up failing. Great. You cause a freak out among people. Um, this is an election year. What does that mean to the market? Because most of this current economy is driven by consumer spending. If you reduce demand for a significant time period because people panic, I don't care about what rich people are doing with stocks. I'm just saying the average American, if they stop spending, if they stop doing things, this whole economy grinds to a halt. Right. And that's all self-induced. Yep. So what do you do? And that's basically <laughs> the basis of my concern regarding the economy. People aren't flying. Mm-hmm. People are canceling events. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's right and left. Like Yeah. And so this is, this is hilarious that at least you and I are in the perspective of like the economy, man. But I mean, what do you do? You just stop people from interacting? Like... And that, that brings up another thing that I was going to say, especially when it comes to the administration trying to do stuff about it. We have this nifty thing called the Constitution, but it can be a hindrance sometimes as much as it is a benefit yeah. because there's things that the government cannot do, like force people into quarantine yeah. without violating constitutional rights. Yep. And so the thing is, is unlike, like, one could argue the best time for, the best place for a pandemic to come out is in an authoritarian country. There are weaknesses. Authoritarian countries tend to downplay the information at first, right? But they can shut down places. They can infringe on human rights, so on and so forth. In America, the, the, the things that actually stop people from moving around the most are private companies deciding to cancel events or certain companies allowing people to telecommute, which are all well and good and a proof positive of like the power of libertarian, I guess, policies or something. However, not everybody can just telecommute to work and avoid people. And that's the big problem is if we're talking about like vectors for diseases to spread, it's the people who can't take time off work or can't just, you know, work remote on their laptops. So we're talking the service industry, for instance, or manufacturing or really your Starbucks employees or whatever else. Right. These are the average everyday folk who don't have access to say, you know, tons of free healthcare or whatever else. So if they get the sniffles, they're not going to stay home. Yeah. They're going to go to work and spread the disease anyway. So I suppose the response from the Trump administration, we may not like it, but I understand it because, okay, you can't tell people to stop going to work. And even if you tell people to stop going to work, a lot of the people who could stop to go work can't. Right. Or rather, the people who should stop going to work can't do it. So it's going to spread anyway. And we have a healthcare system that's not care prepared for it. So if we already understand the foregone conclusion that this could probably get worse and there's not a whole lot of policy things you can do, no matter how much the liberal media might want you to Mm -hmm. among us, better let it just ride. Which is why, to me, it makes sense why they keep downplaying it like nobody's business. 
But they say, oh, it's a democratic coast, or oh, we've got a container, whatever else. Because the only thing they they could do to make this worse, considering it, there's not many tools available to them, is getting people to panic. Because then when people panic, you have that economic problem, more people are hurt, and oh, by the way, in election year, your economy going to shit is really, really bad for your election. That's why I kind of am like, obviously it's concerning and people are going to die and that's terrible, but I'm trying to find a silver lining and I'm like, if this costs Trump his election, like... Oh, God. Are you serious, Sophia, right now? (laughs) Like, no, if you're going to seriously try to find a silver lining, right, like, of a bad situation, and this is bad, like, people, not only are people going to die, it's bad for the economy in a way that, like, is kind of silly. As someone who lived through like the subprime mortgage crisis and even the dot com bu- dot com bubble or like the faintest memory of it that I have, you know, um, I kind of look at this and I just kind of laugh because it's silly. Like it's so it's like it's that classic quote. I think it was from John Maynard Keynes saying like that. In essence, the economy isn't really about what people think; it's about what people think other people are thinking. You yeah. know. <laughs> so it's just like this is so silly, and I. I really, uh, and it it will have lasting effects. So, like for example, my parents just refinanced their house <laughs> at a lower interest rate. Like, yep, that's great. But at the same time, their four hundred one ks are taking heavy hits. Well, yeah, and like I think like the basis for the fear, uh, and this is turning to uh, the left a little bit as far as what I'm talking about right now. Um, but the basis for the fear is this unknown that we just have to let it run yeah. and see what happens as it takes its course. And something interesting is that, and I, I'm pretty sure nobody's started using the P word yet, particularly the CDC. I think they've been avoiding it. The P word being Well, there's a pandemic. specific legal trigger for that. Like it has to reach a certain, I think it's either case count or it's like uh, rapidity, like how like how rapid cases are spreading huh. right. for them to classify. Like I forget what the exact distinction is, and they might even take their cues from the World Health Organization, not the fun who that we all know and love is like a rock band, but like the other who. Right. Well, but meanwhile, the literal dictionary definition of pandemic is, uh, an it's an adjective of a disease prevalent over a whole country or the world. Right. So, so by by definition we've reached that point yeah by legal standards maybe not but by that definition we have a pandemic of the influenza every year we have a pandemic of the common cold every year um i do like though that as like a byproduct of hannah being on law school she has found like a deep love for the dictionary yeah which is just just so it's so nice like it's so just like i don't know wholesome i guess (laughs) it's like we love dictionaries who doesn't love dictionary everybody gets a dictionary you get a dictionary you get a dictionary okay oprah (laughs) So, um, basically, if, if to tie this thing together to where we're at right now, we have a situ- situation where it could hurt the market, it could hurt presidential standards, could hurt a lot of things, right? Which is bad. Um, who's it hurt the most? And I would argue it's the boomers. So, not only are they... As far as death rates. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, death rates, but uh, other ways. Like, I would say the working class, too, like in the service sector. Like, it depends right. on what, what lens you're looking at. Okay, so here's how I'm looking at it. So, um, if we're talking about, like, for immediate material impacts, right? If, if this goes unchecked, I think the impact is more on boomers. If it does go checked, say you, you know, 
stop the presses, quarantine blends places, whatever else, it hurts the working class more. So if you don't do anything, which is currently what's happening, the market goes bad, that hurts 401ks and other people like that, which newsflash, who are the people who rely on their retirement funds and the whatever else the most? Boomers. Boomers. Oh, who also um, die from the disease the most? Boomers. Who also votes for Donald Trump? Boomers. Boomers. So what's interesting is either way here, Donald Trump's kind of in a bind. Um, You're saying that coronavirus is like a secret gift? Whoa. <laughs> I'm not going on record to say that. Oh, well. <laughs> no, not actually. Again, like people are going to die and it's going to be terrible. But like in terms of like, yeah, like a truly losing situation for Donald Trump, like you could not have picked... Like, it's not to say that you couldn't have picked something worse. Like, if there was, like, a natural disaster, like, uh, a, a hurricane that made ca- ca- Hurricane Katrina look, like, you know, a walk through a garden, you know? Mm. Maybe something like that would be worse. But, like, this is really not good, especially because how, like, demographically surgical it is, right? Yeah. It is, it is like a boomer purge, and it gets better, too. So young people tend not to feel that many symptoms, particularly younger kids. So usually the flu kills old people and young kids. Corona, little kids are fine. There have been no fatalities under, what is it, nine months? Something I like think? that. So Zero to nine years old. That's good. That's really good. Yeah, yeah, so what that means is that little kids are boomer nukes. They essentially are little vectors that spread it around. Like, no, this is crazy. No, so what my worry is that, it's, like... It's not funny. I'm, I'm laughing Grandma, keep your grandkids away from you. Yes, essentially. That's what makes school so spooky. So the kids are spreading germs like nobody's business, but guess what? Grandparents picked those kids up from school? Dead. Any old professors? Dead. It's not, not good. It's not it's good. It's not good. I have old professors. My Russian professor is like 70. I don't even, honestly, I don't know how old she is. Like, she could be like 63. She could be like 82. There's no way of knowing. Russian women age in a way that is not, it does It does not obey like the laws of physics or nature. And um, I mean, also, like, we're all old enough now that our parents are aging. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I don't want my parents to get hurt. And I worry. Yeah, and like, so essentially, what's, what's, what's sad is that, like, you know, you could have, like, everybody wants to go after the boomers. But here's the other weird thing is that like, say there is, say we go all try to save the boomers. Who's also the most impacted here? So say we go quarantine mode, people stop, you know, stop going to work, stop paying for things, so on and so forth. People in the service industry, people who can't afford to miss work, those kind of people are the ones who are most impacted. Right. And, you know. You're saying it's Bernie Sanders v. Donald Trump? Yeah. You can essentially (laughs) proxy it via coronavirus. Um, is essentially like Trump inadvertently helps Bernie's base by not doing anything about coronavirus. One could argue that. So, but I, also <laughs> Trump Trump hurts himself by not necessarily doing anything. Like it, it maybe helps him in terms of like economic shock, right? Sure. But in terms of but in terms of his like demographics being like hard hit, and that's like one thing that. You know, I don't want to say that this is like the death knell of Trump's impervious sort of Teflon record within his own base, because I honestly don't know that anything can can Four break through that uh, zombification or whatever else you want to call it, where they just like believe everything he says and then just take it. But hypothetically, if you could break through that sort of blinded television belief that they have with something like this, that's very dangerous. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'd also like to just take a quick aside to talk about the history of coronavirus. Please. Um, so, as we mentioned, it is a 
facet of flu, like a common cold, kind of. Um, it's different. But originally, from what I've been told slash read, it was known to spread between camels. So camel to camel. No shit. Um, and that was, I think, at least as as like the relationship in in the camels was the closest one that they know of to the ones that now it, the one, one that was, is now spreading through humans. Oh, do you so know like when the, that was documented, Hannah? I do not. I do not have a source for this. Uh, it was my younger brother <laughs> who told me it after they talked about it in one of his science classes. At, like, so we're talking like the OG Corona, not like this Corona. The OG Corona. Yeah. yeah. So it's not okay. like this Corona comes from bats or whatever. Right. You know? so yeah. Not just thing. bats, but pangolins, which is actually a subject I want to get into pangolins? in a second. Are those Pang- those porgs from like fucking Star Wars or whatever? No, it's sad. It's a sad, long story. I'll get into it in a second because it relates to policy and international affairs, but I want to let Hannah finish her okay. Chron- chronology. Okay. So so we knew it was in camels. It only really spread from camel to camel. It was not known to uh, to go to humans at that point. So what I, at least what I've been told or heard, is that it started in humans as a result of eating bad bat meat. This current one. This current one. Okay. And has evolved to s- spread through humans. Great. Um. So that was where that's where it all started. So next time you're considering eating bat meat, don't. Okay. I, good to know. Don't eat bat meat. You know, yeah. I wasn't. I wasn't trying to, but like, <laughs> you know, I'm gonna gonna pass on that. So what? What were you gonna say about pangolins? So this this pans a conversation to be less U.S. focused and more internationally focused. Um, so it's not just bat meat. It's also pangolin scales. Um, so if you either either of you or our listeners are not familiar with what a pangolin is. A pangolin is one of the only, if not the only, scaled mammal on the face of the earth. They belong to the same family as the anteater. Um, you can Google images of it. You've probably seen these things in like memes and stuff before. It's like, it's like a very cute animal. But anyway, they're uh, one of the most heavily trafficked animals in the world and as a result are highly endangered. And their scales allegedly have medicinal properties to them that um, are traded, like the scales themselves are traded pretty heavily in black markets throughout Asia, um, but also in here in the United States and elsewhere. Anyway, like because these scales are consumed and because like contact with pangolins like does occur between humans and whatever else, like this virus can also be contracted from pangolins. Um, and regarding the bat subject, like. Part of this whole thing broke out in Wuhan as a result of what we would consider in the West as like substandard livestock facilities, substandard like meatpacking facilities, whatever you want to call it. Sure. Um, and it's sort of like, how do we as the international community deal with a situation in which the world is suffering as from a somewhat preventable thing that was basically born out of like not only just a case of horrific animal rights abuse, but just, like, bad legal standards in terms of, like, how they handle their meats and whatever. But, like, you can't also, like, come into China and say, like, fix your shit, you know, because that's super, like, colonialist and and problematic. Are, are you essentially yeah. implicitly making an argument for neo-imperialism? No, what I'm saying <laughs> is... There is obvious. It's like a it's a double edged sword, right? Or a catch twenty two is maybe a, a better freedom, metaphor. But then you have bat meat that kills people. You know what? Yeah, do you like do? you can't tell one. You can't tell what China to what to do. Yeah, because of sovereignty. But two, because like again, like the history there of like coming into China and telling China what to do. Yeah, that's a great history. Let's let's reopen that can of worms. You know? Right. Um, Sounds like a good time to me. But. 
transnational issues, which is like what classify things like terrorism, disease, pollution, things that, that cross boundaries without necessarily humans intending them to. Cough how, negative externalities. Yeah, like how do you deal with this? Like how do we say, hey, China, like you really dropped the ball on this one. Do we, do we punish China for this? Like what, well, what do we even I mean, like? Economically, the punishment is there. Oh yeah, dude, they're, uh, they're, they're going to recession right now. It's not great. Right, also like, the, some of the things that have come to light uh, as issues as a result of all of this, um, for example, people in China reaching out or more like crying out for the right to free speech or like, you know, oh, yeah. not know. die in your homes while the government people, like quarantines you. Right. Yeah, the Chinese government. So in Wuhan, people had been put on basically social isolation. They couldn't leave their apartments or homes or whatever for the longest period of time until I think three or four days ago. And there were there were cases of people literally crying out to like news broadcasters on the street, like "Please help me! I am out of food. Like I don't know what to do." You know, there's also been massive censorship online of the of the government going online and deleting people trying to self-report cases of symptoms and whatever else because they're so afraid of looking bad, both domestically and internationally. They already look um, pretty bad. Well, yeah, they already look worse. pretty bad, but like. Domestically, especially China and Xi Jinping within the last like 10 or so years has been, you know, a force to reckon with. Ever since he came to power in 2012, Xi Jinping has really tried to consolidate power within his own country in his own words in a Vladimir Putin-like fashion. The bad and good thing, well, the bad thing for everyone in China and everyone else in the world, the good thing for Xi Jinping is that the Chinese government and the Chinese Communist Party are way more capable than the Russian government could ever dream to be. Um, and so it's been way more effective. But I, you know, I have contacts here with Chinese citizens on campus who talk about this and talk about how, how coronavirus like fits in with like the whole diet of Chinese propaganda and communist propaganda domestically. And they're saying like, this virus has made people like get really upset with Xi Jinping. I mean, I, I'm not gonna lie. If this is like the thing that will, if the beer virus takes down his regime or at least exposes like communist China for the authoritarian, you know, evil empire to quote Roe, not Ronald Reagan. That's it. Yeah, Ronald Reagan. Uh, then that's pretty hilarious. He so, didn't call. He didn't call China the evil empire. That was the Soviet Union. That's, that's the point. That's that's. Um, so, yeah, he called Soviet Union that. I'm calling them that. Yeah. Are we saying basically that the coronavirus could be the best counter so far to this wave of populism that we're seeing? In not our, populism, but authoritarianism to yeah, a certain extent. And our leaders. I mean, if we're unseating Trump and we're unseating Xi Jinping, like who's next? Erdogan? Uh, like. Well, so it could go either way though when it comes to the populism thing. So I. Think I think it might hurt authoritarians, but populism, you get enough people pissed off. Bernie Sanders is a populist. And this and I helps would, him. I would argue that uh, both um, Joe Biden and RIP Elizabeth Warren incorporated a lot of populist rhetoric into their platforms. I mean, I, we're having a populist moment in the world. I just had to re-Google um, the definition of populism because, as oh my you were goodness. saying earlier, the Take a shot every time bad. Hannah says something about a dictionary definition. <laughs> if the one that came, comes up reads, a political approach that strives to appeal to ordinary people who feel that their concerns are disregarded by established elite groups. Yeah, and one could argue that the uh, foreign policy elite, if there's one thing, is that they're relatively similar. I mean, that's why neoconservatives agree with Democrats these days, because the Trump administration is actually kind of beyond the pale when it comes to interacting with the rest of the world. Um, 
we are having a populist moment in America and across the world. And I think for a lot of the intelligentsia who think that, you know, human rights norms and getting along with your allies and not lying about things or whatever seems a lot less salient. And so what's kind of wild about this whole thing is it's showing that willful disregard for the facts can actually have weird benefits. So, for instance, um, China cracks down on their, um, on their people terribly, so on and so forth. It's really bad. And the virus still gets out. You arguably might have caused more issues by doing so. And the world hates you. In America, so far, eh, there's probably thousands, maybe more people um, infected with coronavirus. They're just not noticed. They're not being tested. And as long as it doesn't have a 3.6% or 3.4% death rate, if it all blows over, it essentially validates the strategy of don't do anything about it. Yeah. Which is horrifying because we essentially come from the biased view that you should go do things. We should rely on our institutions, so on and so forth. But if we end up in a situation where, oh, don't do anything actually worked, that puts another nail in the coffin of the elite intelligentsia's way of solving problems versus just let the masses survive. I mean, that's the irony. I mean, you, even on the Democrat side, part of the reason why Bernie's been pretty strong, you know, Super Tuesday notwithstanding, is a disregard for elite norms and uh, ways about going about doing business. And um, I don't know. It's kind of spooky. I would um, say, though, because of Super Tuesday and because of things we're seeing with Donald Trump and Xi Jinping and whomever else, like, you can't just, dis- you can't, it's, there's definitely diminishing returns to that. Sure. Kind yeah. of platform. And we, up until this point in time, haven't seen those, like, returns actually diminish. <laughs> yeah. But this could this put, could t- potentially diminish them at least a little bit. I don't, just because of, it doesn't seem like this disease is all that severe. Again, it's Ebola. Like, it's going to kill people. It's going to kill people at a way higher rate than your average flu. But again, it's not, you know, this isn't the next Spanish flu. This isn't the next uh, Black Death. This isn't the next... I don't know. Yeah, typhoid or or um, what is that? People that oh, the disease that people get when they drink bad water. Dysentery. Sorry, uh, cholera. N- cholera. Yeah, this isn't cholera. You know, like it's bad, but it's not the end of the world. The biggest bad would be actually overreacting, and I think that's the big fear. I well, mean, and that's what's or, uh, that. At least in my opinion, I feel like we are overreacting. I think, if anything, we should be giving lots of resources to the to the demographics that are prone to this, such as people who are yeah older or have um, autoimmune issues or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. TV. It's uh, we should be helping them and helping them avoid society because at this point in time, yeah, if the majority of society is going to get it, it doesn't necessarily make sense for us to quarantine yeah. ourselves so much as like protect the minority population that is prone, you know? Well, it's actually speaking of society, the, the other silver lining is this might actually cause a shift in corporate America and also a push for more like, I don't know, free healthcare. So one of the big issues is that private healthcare, most people aren't getting tested or whatever else because they're afraid their insurance won't cover it or be too expensive. This actually means that like there's more of a push for having socialized medicine to some degree. So that's ironic there. The other thing is showing that companies have to go remote more often. And newsflash, when they do go remote, the whole world doesn't end. Yeah. So you know, from a corporate perspective, a lot of companies are averse towards working remote and things like that, in part because they're afraid that, oh yeah, our workers aren't gonna work enough or whatever. A very boomer mentality. So boomer. 
Yeah, so boomer. But we're doing it to save the boomers. Right. We're working oh. remote to save the boomers and also make our lives a little easier. I think about my professors social. that all would be so resistant to this whole, like, uh, like zoom into class thing that we're probably going to have to do here in about a week or two. It's going to be the older ones who are like, ah, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, the future is now, old man. Like, deal with it. <laughs> Yeah. I you know, that's the other thing that's kind of wild is there's going to like it depends on how severe this is, but this is essentially a generational shift. Like it's an exogenous shock, if you will. So, I mean, I'm not saying kind it's of ironic. Yeah, it is. It's very ironic. You know, it's not the revolution that will save us. It's instead a beer virus killing old people, which is sad. No, so here's here's a really fun thing. For instance, um the best time to ever be a peasant in all of Europe's history pre-industrial revolution was right after the Black Death. Specifically for women. Oh, I didn't know that part. Yeah. So this is, this is okay, so this is where Sophia gets to put on her, I went to Lewis and Clark and had a liberal arts education hat. Um, so I took this class called Exploration and Discovery. Oh, God. Which inspires the, the cringes and the uh, sighs of disgust from anyone who's ever stepped foot on the Lewis and Clark campus. Let alone senior But parents, this right? class... And the particular theme of this section that I was in was called Diseases and Their Meanings. And basically the class was 95% about the Black Death and the remaining 5% was about other diseases that we talk about in our society and guess what, what they mean, such as cancer, HIV, etc. Cool. Um, it just spent, Sophia spent a huge portion of her freshman year learning about the Black Death. And the Black Death was a very curious case of not only like basically it documented the strongest wave of globalization that we had before the Renaissance. Um, but it also basically, uh, it, it was so fascinating in terms of urbanization versus rural living, in terms of agriculture versus like market commerce, in terms of uh, social dynamics between classes and between genders. So basically, if you were a poor peasant and specifically a poor peasant woman who had somehow survived the Black Death in medieval Europe, uh, you were better off at the end of it than you were beforehand because guess what? Your husband died and the only person left alive was you and you have to take care of the land. Guess what? You're a land-owning woman now. That basically never happens, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and you you go up this the, the ladder of society and this happened not just with the peasant women but with the sort of like m- merchant class women with the obviously like the, the lords and the ladies and whatever else like the nobility and the royalty. Basically, it was like the great... Um, mobilization factor of medieval Europe. Well, and it was wild. the best thing that had happened to European women basically up until the Renaissance and, and thereafter. So I didn't know the woman part, but that completely jives with what, what I knew in the sense that like it, the natural human state is a concentration of resources towards the ever more powerful over time. And the only thing that resets it tends to be major war and calamities. And in this case, it was the Black Death that killed indiscriminately, including rich people, which meant that there was a shortage of, first of all, labor by the end of it. So it meant labor's power went up and then existing rich people were fewer and that meant wealth transferred downward. So it was actually better for everybody involved. If anything, it's a Malthusian model that really speaks to uh, Thanos' view of the world. And so, ironically... This episode is full of the hottest of takes. Yeah, nice. Um, in, the, in the strongest of wills, to quote Thanos. Um, but the irony of this is that, depending on how bad this is, um, it'll either A, help our generation out in making the workplace a little easier if you happen to work a white-collar job, 
Um, but, you know, if a lot of boomers keel over, there's our intergenerational uh, wealth and power transfer right there, folks. Not not to look on the bright side of life, but, you know. Sorry, Grandpa. Oof. Or Mom. Or Grandma. Or Grandma. But, like, it's still a patriarchal system, particularly if they're at that age, let's be honest, which boomers are in power, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is curious, but... <sighs> Again, we are so at the forefront of this, it's so hard to predict what's going to come oh, yeah. out of this. We could all be eating our words and dead in two weeks. I don't know. I don't I don't think that's the case, just based off of what we've seen. Um, more than anything, it's like, I think we're going to look back at this, and it's going to be... Uh, if we were to pick a binary, a binary choice of, are we overreacting, or are we all going to die? I say that this copy is H1N1 in that people were freaking out during H1N1. Not nearly as bad as now. Um, I would say during H1N1, it was like more reserved. You know, classes were never, like school was never canceled during H1N1, even though people at my school got it back when I was in high school. You H1N1 know, 30,000. the swine flu, right? Yeah, swine, swine flu, flu yeah. Too. I had that. Guess what? You had the Spanish flu. You had the thing that killed people like 90 years ago. Cool. Uh, it was pretty yeah. bad. I was out of school for two weeks. Yikes. Uh, yeah, no, it was bad, and it definitely killed people, but it didn't actually kill people more than about your average flu, which is why, like, the World Health Organization and the CDC and a bunch of other organizations got a lot of flack for it. But you could argue that because it's so mild, like, the World Health Organization and the CDC, like, did their jobs. Like, they did what they should do. So, so are they doing their job right. now, or...? Well, it sort of depends. Like, there, it seems like the CDC is doing the best with what they're given, but with Trump trying to axe their funding and whatever else, you know, like, trying to basically kneecap them before they can even, like, get off the starting plank. Like, I don't know, you know? Like, if there is a CDC employee listening to this podcast right now, thank you for your service. It is noted, you know? Like, I don't know what you're supposed to do. In a, in a situation where the administration is actively trying to... to harm your ability to react to this and also in general like the society is either like oh it's not a problem or um i'm gonna buy 30 gallons worth of purell because i don't know what to do Ugh. okay side note different off, off topic a little bit but important nonetheless um there's been a concerning amount of racism also oh yeah oh yeah i oh I yeah have seen memes especially being just very outright racist toward Chinese people. That's not okay. And why the heck? Like, oh, dude, it's not just Chinese people. There's a gal I know who's Korean, and her mom has a Korean restaurant. And guess who was getting in, like, having lots of people be mean to say the least. And she had to close down for a short period of time because people were going crazy. And this is in Oregon. Yeah, like, yeah, there's is... no rational, like. <laughs> I mean, you know. There's no rational reason for that. God forbid no, you're Asian, you cough just, in the general area. It's so, this is so classically human. Um, this is why I get sad about the species that I unfortunately belong to. Uh, really? Not to be, you're human? Uh, not to be a misanthrope or whatever. Um, but this is not the first time that a specific racial or like ethnic group has been linked with a disease. Like for the longest oh, time, including today, like, this still happens. Jews are like labeled as being disease carriers. Jews? Really? Um, oh yeah. Like huh. they blamed like in lots of, in many parts of Europe, they blamed Jews for the black death. Again, I know this because of the weird long education that I had <laughs> on the black death, uh, yesteryear. Uh -huh. Um, 
Yeah, in certain parts of Europe, especially in Spain and elsewhere, they blamed Jews for the Black Death. Um, they've blamed, I don't even know, like, it's so associated with, like, races that tend to be um, ostracized and or discriminated against that we associate them with dirtiness. Like, how many times has uh, the words dirty or, like, unkempt come up when Donald Trump is describing people coming from, like, Mexico or Central America or South America, yes. right? Like, he has explicitly said they're bringing in diseases, they're bringing whatever, you know, especially when those, like, sort of caravans were approaching the border, like, two years ago or so. Like, they were talking about, like, oh, you know, they're bringing diseases, whatever else. Um, Ellis Island immigration was highly regulated in that when you were crossing the border, you had to have, you had to show no signs of disease. And those who were of different races or even white races deemed less ideal, such as the Irish, the Irish. or the Italians were heavily discriminated heavily discriminated against like race or like the concept of race and the concept of disease are so heavily linked and are so persistent throughout human society like i am so unsurprised by this but you know all the same disgusted by it well lovely humans so, can be the worst <laughs> yeah that's 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 yeah humans can be the worst usually we are well we're kind of coming short up on time here so let's uh let's wrap this up with a good arbitration here all right, we're going to go around. Is this going to be Doom? What do you think is going to happen next? Go, Hannah. Um, it may not be Doom for most of us in terms of like whether we're going to actually physically die, but I, you know, it might spell Doom for our economy for a while, and I think that that's going to be the really painful thing. Uh, hmm. And it's I don't I don't know how far it will go. Um, also, and this might be kind of a paranoid thing to have cross my mind, but um, the very strong reaction from the universities makes me worry that there's something they know that we don't know. Um, or they could just be defending themselves from liability, you know? like I think it's more of the latter, just knowing how universities work. Like, they just don't want to get sued. That's all it is. Right. Because like, little also, Jimmy got like, corona like, in their freshman year. But, like, also, like we've never seen it like this before like this is a very strong reaction and it's not that hard to protect yourself from liability um you know without like like this this is just a lot compared to anything we've experienced before as students putting on my paralegal brain i would say the reason why they're doing that is because because of the faulty statistics because they don't know really how bad it's going to get they're sort of assuming not like a worst case scenario, right? They're not just like canceling everything outright, but they're like, they would rather overreact than underreact and yeah, get sued. Like definitely. it definitely like from a risk standpoint and from what their probably insurance policies are advising them to do, what their lawyers are advising them to do. Like it makes sense. I disagree with it, especially because like the majority of the population at these universities are young people. Like, again, like, I understand taking precautions to protect the, like, elderly faculty and staff or whatever that they have on campus, but, like, it's just, it's just a, it's a money game, but it's a money game, again, that is so silly, like, ugh, cringe. That's all yeah. I have to say. Well, um, I'll, I'll have the last word here for that one. What's interesting to me is how easy it is to bring a country low, if you will, um, how vulnerable our interconnected postmodern world is if we were a more ancient society to a certain degree although diseases may ravage you super easily and you don't have the medical you know knowledge to necessarily save yourself distance was a greater factor 
Hell, even 50 years with people being less interconnected is harder for a global contagion to spread around. Plus, you have institutions that were in arguably more power in our society, like in the 1960s or 70s, that if you wanted to have an, you know, a strong response, you could. Now, with all of our wonderful technology and market-based solutions, we're actually more impotent and more you know, uh, weak and vulnerable to a terrible disease like this. I mean, what I'm really afraid of is not corona, but something that's actually deadly. Because considering how silly the response has been in general and how easy people panicked and how much people's lives have been disrupted already from the beer virus, could you imagine an actual epidemic? Talking about something that really kills people and kills them fast and spreads way quicker. You mean like the zombie apocalypse? Well, maybe not the zombie apocalypse, but yeah, that's what spooks me. And this is just a, like, to me, this feels like a dry run for like a really good bioweapon or something like that. Mm. Like, if you wanted to, like, really. Knock on wood. Yeah, knock on wood. But, like, if you really wanted to bring a country low, it's super easy, apparently. Yeah. You know, a couple coughs and a beer virus is enough to, like, you know, sink an economy. Yep. Could you imagine if you wanted to engineer something to really hurt people? Yeah, and I mean, there's also a lot we don't know about this disease. Oh, yeah. We don't know if it's going to attach to your genetic makeup and be something like, what is it? Um, I think dengue fever, um, oh. where you just kind of always have it forever after oh, that. Oh, great. It's treatable. Yeah, cause I, but, well, that's how viruses work. They basically embed themselves into your DNA. But the good news about viruses is that, like, the reason why swine flu wasn't that bad in 20, like 2009, whenever that was, versus 1918, I think, um, was because but the, the time that it took between 1918 and 2009 the generations had proceeded such that antibodies were like copied in the genetic code. Like we oh. had in our DNA the answer to the H1N1 virus already. Right. Whereas that hasn't happened with coronavirus. Um, it's important to understand that. And it's also under important to understand that at a point in time when the critical, like when a critical mass of the population has already had the disease, has like distributed the antibodies to deal with it. It's not to say that it won't spread because it will spread, but it will get better. You know, like this disease is kind of, especially how mild it is, all all things considered. It's not, you know, if this were to happen again in 20 years with the same disease, it it probably wouldn't even register. Like it would probably just be a common cold, you know? Yeah. And like, and that's all very true, but we haven't had very much time to do all of the testing and like, we may be less feared by the regular flu that we, the flu that we know and love. Sure. um, Because we've had a ton of time and a ton of tests and years and years of vaccines and like things like that and like it'll take a year or more to even create a vaccine for the coronavirus if that even ever happens um but i think people are afraid of the unknown yeah yeah and that's gonna that's it. kill our economy <laughs> well yeah. this is where i like to get on my soapbox right before we end the episode as someone who was raised by an anti-vaxxer vaccinate your goddamn children please and thank you and somebody who was raised on douglas adams novels don't panic all right i think that covers this folks thanks for listening to pino and policy or corona and fear i suppose I don't know. I had a better pun in mind, but apparently it's late in the day. Um, Thanks, as always, for listening to us. Uh, Thanks also to our producer, Steph, for being great and all that. Please note that the virus does not come from Corona beer. That is just an unfortunate name that the beer also has. Yeah. And is a joke. And also... You can also follow us at Arbiter on Twitter or at Arbiter Org on Facebook. Thank you all. See you in a fortnight. Bye-bye.